On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Welcome back to our study of Job. I'm Ian and this is the Sailor Time to Pause podcast from Plexus Salvation Army, an online church in the UK. I will stop and breathe in your presence, just breathe, just breathe. The Bible describes Satan as being enormously cunning and vicious. He's not at all like the comical character depicted in popular literature, with a red suit and two horns, a twirly moustache and a goatee beard, a pitchfork and a pointed tail. He's described in 1 Peter as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. His purpose is evil, and his aim is presented clearly here in Job's story, and it's to make Job turn away from God. He wants to show that Job only serves God because of all that God gives him. In the first chapter, he brought that accusation and sought to test Job's faith. He brought immense calamity upon Job. Everything around him was attacked and destroyed. In one single moment, he went from the richest person for miles around to losing everything he had. Messengers of bad news tripping over each other and arriving while the previous was still delivering his report. His oxen and donkeys were stolen and his farmhands killed. His sheep and all his shepherds were burned up by fire falling from heaven. His camel trains were raided and his servants slaughtered. Even his seven sons and three daughters were all killed when the house they were in collapsed. The worst day in Job's life. All has been lost and there is nothing left to happen. The greatest test imaginable has come to Job with the sole intention of making him turn away from God. Yet he came through the test. The first chapter ends with these words. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Satan was proved to be wrong. Job did not curse God when he lost his wealth and his children. Instead, Job showed the reality of his faith and took his hurting soul to God, whom he knew to be his friend, and in his pain he worshipped. But Satan does not give up. He is relentless. 
His campaign to turn Job against God is not finished. He may have raised the greatest of evil against Job, yet he does not give up. He pushes for more. Is there any area left that he has not tested? Any further tragedy he can bring? Any adversity or calamity left that could still befall Job? How can he humiliate him further, blight him more, crush him afresh? Is there any new affliction he could send Job's way? His attention now turns to a direct attack. While Job is still recovering from the shock of losing his wealth and his children, he contracts a dreaded disease and is afflicted with terrible boils. Job was ulcers and scabs from head to foot. They itched and oozed so badly that he took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself, then went out and sat on a trash heap amongst the ashes. Job ends up covered with sores that opened and ran with pus and then got clogged with dirt and infested with worms. This was not a mild virus. It was a horrid thing from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. All this proves to be too much for Job's wife. She had endured with him the loss of her children and wealth. But now with the life of her husband draining away, leaving her utterly destitute, her faith collapses and in her desperation she asks him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Just curse God and die. This must have made a hopeful smile come across the face of Satan. He had not given up easily and perhaps now he is getting somewhere. But Satan does not only try to turn humanity against God by bringing evil against them. He's equally adept at using the carrot as the stick. He's as likely to come with subtle temptations as he is with strife, struggles and stress. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. When the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, Satan saw his chance there, and he was just as dogged in his determination to turn Jesus against the Father as he was to turn Job, but his tack is entirely different. Subtlety and sophistication are his marks here, rather than open malice and harsh hardship. But his aim is still the same. Turn from God, kneel down, and worship me instead. Once again we see that one test is not enough. When he was tempted to give in to his physical needs and desires, to manipulate the world around him, to meet his needs instead of depending on God to meet them, and to use his position and authority for selfish ends, Jesus rebuffed the temptation. 
He refused to be selfish, to think only of himself and to satisfy an immediate urge or need without looking at the bigger picture. Yet Satan did not end there. Satan is not so easily dissuaded as to cease his efforts to turn Jesus away from God, as to give up if he fails at the first hurdle. He tries a new tack and comes to Jesus again with a new temptation. And then when that fails, he again tries yet another tack and comes to Jesus with another different temptation. Selfishness did not work. How about ego and trustworthiness? But when that also fails to achieve his ends, then how about fame and power and riches? In his efforts to draw Jesus away from God, he uses a legitimate need, but tempts him to fulfill that need in an illegitimate way. He takes a beautiful verse about trusting God and twists it into an invitation to test God. And then he lays Jesus' ultimate desire before him, the adoration of the world he loves and came to save. Yet he distorts it to a vision of power, if only Jesus would compromise. A simple bow of the knee, rather than the hard and difficult path that would lead to the shame and suffering of a cross. When one temptation fails, another is waiting. In the pursuit of his goal, whether he uses a carrot or a stick, Satan is relentless. Yet, eventually, Jesus' time of temptation came to an end in victory. For 40 days, Christ was in combat with the enemy, defending himself in the power of the Holy Spirit against the fiery darts of temptation. But there was an end. Satan may not give up easily, but equally his testing did not go on forever. Jesus passed the tests. He never used his message and his work for his own ends. He did not use his faith to get something selfish for himself, nor did he make an easy career for himself. He turned down all the glitz and glamour that the world had to offer in order to follow God's plan rather than his human desires. Satan's relentlessness did not assure him of victory. The battle's fortune was never under the control of the tempter, but was always under the control of the one being tempted. At each stage, Jesus had the ability to choose. His free will remained intact and he was always free to choose the good, always free to choose the right. Satan may have come against him again and again and again, but Jesus could and did choose God again and again and again. Jesus' victory was certain. And Job found victory too. That may seem strange to say as he sits destitute and afflicted beyond imagination, but we have to remember the aim of the battle. Satan's aim was not that Job should suffer, if that were true, then Satan surely had one and it would have been a great victory. But Satan's malice was not his aim. Satan's malice was only his method. Satan's relentlessness did not assure him a victory. The battle was never for Job's wealth or health, but was always for Job's soul. The battle's fortune was never under the control of the attacker, but was always under the control of the one who suffered. At each stage, Job had the ability to choose. His free will remained intact and he was always free to choose the good, always free to choose the right, always free to choose to continue to serve God, always free to resist the urge to curse his Lord. Satan may come against him again and again and again, but Job could and did choose God again and again and again. Job's victory was certain.
We all know that troubles and trials, temptations and tribulations are not limited to the pages of scripture. Anyone who has ever drawn breath knows that at times we battle against outward circumstances and against our inner nature. Temptations are common and troubles come to us all. The journey of faith can be difficult. We are each going to have to face them. They say that trials and troubles come in threes. Now that's just superstitious nonsense. Have you ever known them to stop at three? When troubles come, they come in much bigger numbers than just three. And they don't wait politely behind the door for the previous trouble to finish before they come along bringing their woes. When they come, they crowd into our lives, sometimes jostling for our attention and at other times hiding around the corner to catch us unawares. It's the same with temptation. Have you ever known that to only come in threes? Once and you refuse, twice and you resist, third time and you stand strong knowing that you'll never face that temptation ever again. No. After a long hard day when I'm looking for some comfort food, there are certainly more than three temptations that face me on my journey home. In my short journey home, there are 29 places that I can stop for either a takeaway or a chocolate bar. I know because I counted and at the end of my journey, the Bali Farm Carvery is less than a few minutes walk, which no matter what I tell myself is not a long enough walk to counteract a plate full of roast beef, cauliflower cheese, parsnips, potatoes, stuffing and at least two Yorkshire puddings. But more seriously, troubles and temptations don't just come in threes or in any number. When they come, they often do so in a seemingly never-ending succession, one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. They wear us down sequentially, making it harder and harder to not give in to our despair or our desires. Temptations continue to call out to us and troubles continue to weigh us down, one pulling at our heart, the other dragging down our shoulders, never letting up, draining our emotional and spiritual resources, gradually exhausting our strength, slowly but surely weakening our ability to persevere. Troubles can be relentless. Temptations can be relentless because Satan is relentless in his efforts to turn us from following God. His methods have not changed since he tested Job and he tested Jesus. And he's relentless whether he's using a carrot or using a stick to get us to change our direction. A barrage of temptation or a barrage of trouble. But that doesn't mean that we're doomed to fall victim, doomed to fail in the battle which wages against our souls. It's our allegiance to God that's being tested, not our ability to resist or to endure. Temptation can be overcome without turning our back on God's law. Troubles can be passed through without turning our back on God's love. Temptation causes us to doubt God's law, just as with Eve in the garden, did God really say not to eat? Or with Achan outside Jericho? Did God really say not to steal? Or with Jonah as he travelled to Tarshish? Did God really say not to go? Jesus overcame temptation by referring to God's word. Each time his response was, It is written. It is written, man does not live by bread alone. It is written, do not test the Lord. It is written, worship and serve only the Lord. And so if we cling to God's law and to God's word when we're tempted, 
If we hold on to our awareness of what is right and what's wrong, knowing the voice of our shepherd and our guide, then we can come safely through any temptation. Troubles, on the other hand, cause us to doubt God's love, just as with Jeremiah. Is God really faithful? Or with Elijah? Does God really know and care? Or with the whole nation in slavery in Egypt? Has God abandoned us? Job overcame his troubles by reminding himself of God's faithfulness in the past and of God's sovereignty. And he said to his wife, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? Job does not find this easy. We'll see that later. Job does not understand it, but he declares God's goodness and his love. And so if we cling to God's love when we go through troubles, if we hold on to our experience of his faithfulness, that he has always been with us in the past, no matter what we have gone through, knowing that he is our good shepherd, then we can come safely through any troubles. Job and Jesus both endured their trials alone without the support of another beside them. Times of temptation or trouble can be lonely places, but we do not go into them friendless. In Galatians 6, Paul encourages us to share each other's burdens, and he joins with Silas and Timothy to encourage us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to each do our part encouraging the strugglers and reaching out for the exhausted. And Peter tells us, above all, keep loving each other earnestly. We all face our own personal trials, but we do not need to face them alone. And we have more than just our friends around us. We also have a friend in heaven. For, as we discovered last time, our relationship with God is a true, real friendship in which there is no need for pretense. However relentless Satan may be, we have an equally relentless support, unshirking and determined in comfort, uncompromising and ferocious in loyalty, and which stops at nothing, not even a cross, to make sure that he would always be there. When you're in the middle of testing times, keep on believing Jesus is near. Keep on believing there's nothing to fear. Temptation can be overcome without turning our back on God's law. Troubles can be passed through without turning our back on God's love. Press on, never despair. Trust in God for victory is there. Hold on, you can do it. Keep on believing. When you feel weak Keep on believing
This has been Sailor Time to Pause, a podcast from Plexus Salvation Army, an online church in the UK. I'm Ian. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Sam. If you've enjoyed journeying with us over these last few weeks, join us every Monday. Or any day that works for you. To spend time together, taking time out to pause, catch our breath, draw near to God and refresh our spirits. We share Bible teachings, reflections on songs we're listening to, and on what's going on in the world around us. As well as this, on the last day of the month, we look back and reflect, share any thoughts from our listener community and ask what we can take from it into our daily living. What we call our personal So What's for the month. Join us, making us part of your regular routine, spending a few minutes to listen to what God might be saying to you. Find us on your favourite podcast streaming service, on Facebook or YouTube by searching for Selah. That's S-E-L-A-H. Time to pause.